0: I want our kids to learn how to sing to the Lord. Let me tell you what what it's not for. I don't want that. I don't want it just so we can have a good choir one day. That's not the point. That's a byproduct. That would be great. Um, I want it because God's worthy of our praise at all ages. I want our young people to develop that. And if you're a parent in here, I I appreciate Carla and Dwayne, the emphasis that they put on that, and they just kind of light the fire of, of Elena's passion there and I don't care if your child's an outstanding singer or not. I don't care if they hit every right note. That doesn't matter. I think they should be in a children's choir. Amen. We have those at at 5:30 for all ages. Um and uh the reason why I found a lot of kids don't go to children's choir is not the kids' choice. It's the parents' choice. They don't they can take them to soccer practice. Baseball practice. Think I'm meddling. You think I'm meddling. It's actually the truth. It's just the truth. Truly, when we think of the overall health of our church, we've got to see the big picture. We've got to see down the road. And, and, and little, little decisions, parents, listen, little decisions like taking our kids to learn how to sing godly music, it doesn't make a difference right away, but it compounds time over time over time. It compounds, and in, in 15 years, you're going to have a Sandy Grant and a Heather Powell, or Sandy Astala, sorry, Steve. And 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 Heather and Beth and, and myself and, and Jenny. And I'm missing out. I know I'm leaving people out, but all the Knutsons, you're gonna you're gonna have people that were people that whose parents, whose parents took time and sacrifice to teach them and to and and, and to kind of fan that flame, whether it's in whether it's an instrumentalist we have today. Or, or this, and I know there's a lot of ministries that benefit from parents doing that. I'm just highlighting the music ministry for a second. And, and I've learned that, that parents, if you will commit to that, your kids will be eager to learn it. They'll be eager to do it, but, but we've got to make that commitment ourselves. And, and, and I hope you'll take that, that serious. Um, we're going to go to a lot of different scriptures. This is a different message for me. I want you to start in Romans chapter 8. And, and the title of the message, or the devotion, I don't know what we would call it, um, is Living with Heaven in Mind. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I wanted to kind of have what I thought would be a fitting conclusion to our seven-week study on the subject of heaven. I know that many of you have had the opportunity to sit in on, on those Bible study lessons, and, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've learned a lot myself having read and studied about this topic of heaven. At first, I, I always, I was, I was telling Dylan this last night, Dylan and Courtney this last night at dinner, that um, I think sometimes we get up and, and, and we say this about heaven, you know, well, the Bible doesn't talk much about heaven because if it did, the reason why it doesn't, God knows we couldn't handle it if it did. When really that might just be unintentionally a justification for actually not studying what the Bible does say about heaven. It says more than we think it does, and it gives us some pretty strong implications about heaven, and, and to me, I, I, I have just, I have benefited greatly from studying and reading about this topic of heaven, and so I want to I conclude it with, with basically answering this question, why would we take seven weeks to study on this topic? It's to, is, is it to arouse our curiosity about heaven? I mean, we've, the last two weeks, we've answered some very specific questions. Like, will our pets be in heaven? I mean, I took time to answer that. You kidding me with this? And and, and will we be married in heaven? What about infants in heaven? And, and so many other things that, that we've taken time to answer. Are we doing that just so we can uh, uh, satisfy our, our curiosity that's that's been aroused about this topic that we think the Bible says nothing about? Is it because... We don't learn about heaven so that we're smarter about the Bible. So we appear to be smarter about these things because we love having answers to people's questions. I think it's healthy to have answers to people's questions, but that's not the motive either. We don't want to appear to be Bible smart. That's not the goal, though it's good to know these things. It's because the more we think about heaven, the more we study about heaven, the more we sing about heaven, the more we live with heaven in mind. And it's really dangerous if we don't live with heaven in mind. And it's really beneficial if we do live with heaven in mind. How many have ever been to to an aquarium? Um, A big aquarium in a big city where where you walk through and you see sharks and and stingrays and all these things. I went to the one I think is the best that I've been to. I've been to four or five and I think the one that I like the best is in Phoenix. It's pretty new. And uh, Kelby had a connection there. Um, from playing baseball with um, one of the head veterinarians of, of the aquarium. And so they, he, he took us like a backstage pass through the aquarium. And it was really neat. You didn't just get to stand on the outside of the glass. We got we to gotta go backstage and look over into the water at the sharks. Like I took one step and I was shark meat. Um, it was really, really neat. Some of the things we got to see. But as I was walking through that, perhaps as you've walked through that, maybe you have felt looking at those fish inside that glass box as though something's wrong. Like, they don't belong there. It's not their real home. Fish weren't made for a giant aquarium. They were made for an endless ocean of water. And and maybe the fish don't know any better. But I wonder if their instincts at all tell them, "This, this is not my home. I don't belong here. I know my instincts tell me that this world isn't my home. Something inside of me says there's something better. And we know that, um, not just instinctually, we know that biblically, it's called heaven. But the Bible does confirm this instinct, that that this world is not our home. And it does it in Romans chapter 8. Look at it in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. When's the last time you groaned for heaven? I'm not talking about you made a public spectacle of the fact like, I can't wait to get there. But something inside of you was groaning and straining and reaching for a better place. A better circumstance. A better world. Maybe it's been during the study. I know at least for me, I'm 34 years old and... I feel like I have some life behind me and I hope I have just as much of life ahead of me. And if I'm honest, um, I love, I love living. <laughs> I love being alive. I, I'm not to the stage of life where, where I've experienced everything my, my earthly heart wants to experience. And so selfishly, I think sometimes I can do without heaven for a little bit longer. And I know some of you grandparents and older probably have seen so much more than I've seen and experienced, so much more than I've experienced. And there are probably more times than not, or more times than me at least, that you groan. Man, I want heaven. But there have been times, even in my young age, where, where I've groaned for heaven. Typically it's during difficult times. Because I know the I know the Bible says heaven will have no difficult times. So there have been times where I've Where I've been at a funeral, whether conducting the funeral or or whether it's been a funeral with somebody I loved. And I couldn't help but groan in my spirit. Thinking, man, I can't wait for no more funerals. There have been times when I've had earthly frustrations with people and disappointments. And something groans in me saying, I can't wait for the day when people won't let me down. People won't make me mad. And we won't disagree. I don't know when the last time it's been for you where in your body you just groaned for that adoption to, re- to, to with the, the, the redemption of your earthly body into a resurrected heavenly body. But then if we're honest there are probably times when heaven really isn't on our mind. There are times when we go through life and things are so great and things are so comfortable and life on earth truly is so sweet that there's no groaning. There's no living with heaven in mind. One of the main reasons, again, that I I wanted to go through these lessons on heaven was to put it in our minds and cause us to live more aware of that place on a daily basis. C.S. Lewis said this in regards to keeping heaven in mind. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same we aren't careful, we'll start living our our, our lives like we're actually permanent residents of this world. That's why we need to spend our our time as Christians regularly cultivating our love for heaven. Singing about heaven and meditating on scripture about heaven and reading books on heaven and having Bible studies on heaven and preaching sermons on heaven. And I believe there are just three quick benefits that I want to share with you topically speaking, not from this one text, but from several different portions of Scripture. And I just kind of want to kind of put a bow, if you would, and, and wrap up this series with why it's so important to talk about heaven and learn about heaven and sing about heaven and why you should continue to read and study yourself about heaven. Here's the first thing. Living with heaven in mind leads to holy living. Turn to First John, would you please? I brought your Bible. If you didn't, it'll be on the screen, but um, work with me here. Go to First John chapter 3. First John chapter number 3. I want you to look at two verses, verses 2 and verses 3, that prove this point so well. Apostle John says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Watch here. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Did you catch that? If, listen, if my wedding date is on the calendar, and I'm thinking of the person I'm going to marry, I'm not really an easy target for seduction. I was just spending time with Marissa and Landon yesterday in marriage counseling. And one of the, the, the steps of having a... a a uh, good marriage, I believe, is a commitment to stay pure inside of marriage. And I told him at the beginning of the lesson, I said, I know you can't even imagine right now um, committing an extramarital affair on, on on your spouse. You love each other. I mean, your heels, I mean, just, just I don't know what that, what is it, heels, head over heels in love with each other. And I can tell when they come into my office, you know, it, it kind of is a little weird sometimes. And. Um, I was like that, though. And I, I told them, I know you can't imagine ever um, ceasing to love this person to the degree that you would feel satisfied with anybody else. And so it's going to be hard in your mind to, to listen to this preventative maintenance-type lesson on staying pure, but here's the truth. Nobody plans on having an affair. They, they fall in love, and they think they'll stay in love, But once the the wedding has come and gone and they fail to to stay in love and and to to stay mindful of that marriage covenant, that's when they are actually prone to temptation. And the same is true in our Christian life. When your mind drifts from heaven, sin becomes attractive. When you get your, your mind off of Christ and Off of heavenly things, that's when you're most tempted to satisfy your soul with earthly things. So so, so that's why I would say that that we need to think about heaven because it inevitably leads to us pursuing holiness. And the flip side of the coin is true as well. Our high tolerance for sin testifies to the fact that we are failing to think about heaven on a regular basis. Let me give you another thing. Living with heaven in mind leads to purposeful living. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Familiar verses, verses 1 and 2 of Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I want you to notice a point that's implied in these two verses. You can't look both ways at the same time. Try it. You can't look up and look down. It's humanly impossible. In in, in the same way, you can't set your affections in heaven and on earth with the same amount of passion. You can't do it. And did you notice the word Paul chose to to use? He he used the word affections. He's talking about the things you love, the things you cherish, the things that move you, the things that, that you think about the most. Why did Paul start with affection? Why is that a determining factor? Because he knew that your affection determines your attention. What you live for is determined about what is determined by what you think about the most. What moves you the most on the inside, what you're focused on the most. That's what Solomon says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Listen, church, living with heaven in mind, it will ultimately affect your activities. It will affect your ambitions. It will affect your recreations. It'll affect your hobbies. It'll affect your friendships. It'll affect the way you spend your time. It'll affect the way you spend your talent. It will affect, affect the way you spend your money. If you're not using your talent for the Lord, you're not plugged into a ministry making a difference for the kingdom of God, you're not living with heaven in mind. If you're not using your time wisely for the Lord, you're not living with heaven in mind. If you're not giving to God of, of, of your material possessions, your time, and your offering, listen to me, you are not heavenly minded like you should be. Think about it. When, when, if you truly believe that like we studied of all the pleasures and, and, and all the unending beauty and, and amazing adventure that's going to be on the new earth, Are you really content to spend all your evenings staring at reality TV, sitcoms and sporting events and social media? I mean, even if you keep your eyes off of impurities, how much will you really want to invest in things that don't really matter if you're living with heaven in mind, knowing what it awaits, what awaits you there? I mean, think about it. When we realize the pleasures that await us in God's presence, we'll forgo lesser pleasures now we 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 try to try to get these worldly pleasures because we're not even anticipating the pleasures that await us in heaven. You can do without 70 years of earthly wicked pleasures on earth because you're going to have an eternity of pleasures in heaven. The same is true for possessions. When you realize the possessions that await you in heaven, you will gladly give away possessions on earth so as to store up treasures in heaven. You won't hold on to your money so tightly. When you realize the the, the power that is offered to us as rulers in God's kingdom, listen, a power that we couldn't handle now, but the power that we'll be able to handle with, with humility and responsibility then, we can forego the pursuit of power and promotion down here. If you don't get the promotion that you applied for or the position that you applied for, it's okay, you'll hold a lot of power in heaven one day. Power that you will utilize for God's glory serving Him. I'm not trying to say that living with with heaven in mind means we have to cease having fun on earth. God knows somebody can become so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. But it does mean we live with more purpose. One more. Living with heaven in mind leads to thankful living. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And let's look at two verses. Verses 14 and verses 15 pastor quotes this is one of his favorite verses to quote is verse 15 but I love this in its context verse 14 gives us that for here have we no continuing city but we seek one to come that's the new Jerusalem that's the country of heaven by him therefore because of that city that we're promised by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his Name. Look up here. Has there been a time in studying these lessons where you've learned something about heaven? Where it's just caused you to, to even sigh with relief in your heart. To, to be thankful. Wow, I'm, I'm thankful that's true. About heaven. I, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if the reason why sometimes we complain... And we grumble, and we're moody, and we're irritable. Maybe it's because we really aren't living with heaven in mind. We get so caught up with what's happening down here, it affects our emotions so much. It affects our attitudes so much that not once in the day have we even thought, I'm glad that I don't have to mess with this stuff anymore. And we can live with heaven in mind, thanking God For that promise I asked you a question what about heaven makes you thankful so I just want to have a short time of Thanksgiving that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name very focused what about heaven that you've learned in this series or something more more specific to your own life or your own loved one or or whatever the case might be but the one thing you could pick above the rest that says you know that one thing makes me most thankful um, and I know, universally speaking, let's let's all say that seeing Jesus is going to be the best thing. We get that, we understand that. Um, but let's go let's let's go beyond that to the other things we've learned about heaven. Not that not that I'm I'm minimizing that. That is the best thing. Amen. But uh, other than that, what about heaven? Particularly, just makes you want to praise God. Just raise your hand and speak up, Pastor. As he was. Yes. That's right. If you weren't in the lesson this morning, we answered the question, will there be families in heaven? Maybe not family units like we know them, uh, secluded in their own home. Maybe so, maybe not. But we will always know that TJ was his son and my brother. And TJ will recognize me as his brother. Because, listen, the new heaven and new earth, it doesn't erase history. It culminates history. And I'm so thankful for that. that. To me, that brings relief to me. Brother Kent, speak up. No more sorrow, no more pain. Who agrees with that? Praise His name. Fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Who else? Yes, Virginia. Yeah. Isn't that great? We talked about the fact that, will there be infants in heaven? Well, we know there will be infants in heaven. They'll, they'll be with the animals, it says in Isaiah 6 or 11. <laughs> and, and then, which, which really probes the question, well, will, will they be infants when we see them? And, and I, I think there's some implications so as to point to the fact That God might just let those ladies, those women who have had miscarriages or stillborn babies or whatever the case might be, he might let them remain infants so that those mothers will be able to see them grow up and and experience that opportunity and privilege that they never had on this side of heaven. Isn't it that just like God to do that? Yeah, God chose to take those babies. That's God's choice. That's not an accident. God didn't mess up. So it makes sense to me that if God took them, that that maybe he has for those particular m- mothers that had to go through that they're going to be able to see their kids grow up in a perfect world so ladies if you've been through that um, maybe you can hang on to that and know that, that God might, might be rewarding your sorrow down here with a wonderful child up there It'd be awesome you won't have to keep them from lying stealing You want to slap his hand and say share? (laughs) Miss Cindy? No sickness. sickness. (laughs) How many say amen to that? I can't wait for that. Yes, Miss Deanne? No sin. sin. I don't even know if we understand the gravity, the depth when she says no sin in heaven. Like we won't wrestle once with an unholy desire. We won't even be uncertain about our desires. Is this good or is this bad? Is this good or is it best? No, we we won't ask those questions anymore. Our desires won't be able to lead us astray. Mm. Yes, ma'am. The thing that boggles my mind is I think about, you know, we have great relationships down here. And talking about how much more fulfilling our relationship will be in heaven with Christ. Yes. It boggles my mind. Yeah. It ought to bring praise from our lips to think that we won't even need the marriage relationship because we'll be so satisfied with our closeness and intimacy with Christ. I know some of, some of you, especially older couples, you, you've been at it 25, 35, 45, 55 years. How are you going to live without that person? Well, we don't know. Other than to say you're going to be so intimately close with Christ, you won't even feel the void. You'll know they were your wife. I think the best friend type thing will transcend Earth, and, and it will—the principle of continuity will go into the new Earth. But but, it boggles my mind too, Miss Cindy, that we'll actually have that kind of relationship with Christ. Where we'll be satisfied so much we don't need the marital relationship. One of the only things that 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 was the exception to the principle of continuity is that marriages that God created before the curse won't be in the new Earth. We won't need it, Miss Sheila. mm mm amen yeah, yeah, no more closed caskets, truly, that's awesome for the dewey no more, pain and no more worn out bodies. No more worn out bodies. <laughs> <laughs> All God's people said, "No more Mondays." (laughs) Who had their hand up over here, brother Brother Johnny and the Miss Melanie? Great. Miss Melanie? Of people, yeah. no more worrying Listen, if an <laughs> infant can sit down with a snake <laughs> and we don't even have to look out our windows and say, Are they, is little Johnny okay? Yeah, we don't have to worry about our bills. Hallelujah. Ed? Just to repeat something that one of our kids said this morning, he's getting a big hug from God. Wow. Out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. Yeah, mm. Yeah, Mom. That's right. That's right. The babies nobody wanted. God wanted. Amen. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but God's going to redeem those regrets, and uh, and it's going to be great. Mm. Yes, for you know, the bill. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear him? He said he'll be able to walk, walk down the streets of gold with Preston. I used Preston last last week in our in our lesson. I said the same thing. I right? with all the energy that he has in a wheelchair. Can you imagine him when he has the full strength in his legs? His personality plus his energy. It's going to be a good day, isn't it, bud? It's going to be awesome. Who else? These are good tears, good tears. Yes, Beth? We've seen, pastor talked about it this morning, the devastating results of somebody that's mentally sick, and that's, that's prevalent, it's going to be more and more so in my son's generation with all the media and the filth that they have to deal with online that gets in their minds. This, this is like the main target of the devil in our young people right here now, and there are so many mentally sick people, and we've got to be careful to care about those people as well, but... And what a great day it'll be when they don't have to wrestle with suicidal thoughts, depression. People that are bipolar and struggle with that. Things like that, man, it's gonna be great. Who else? Anybody? You might think, I, I want you to do this before we're done. I want you to think of maybe a day recently or a day you've had in your life where you've thought this to yourself man, it can't get any better than this. Maybe you went, it was your honeymoon, your wedding. Maybe it was the, the birth of your first child. Maybe it was just like like it was for Jenny and Kevin and I the other day where we were just sitting in our home together watching TV and I looked and I thought, it just doesn't get better. Sometimes I feel that in this church. There's some church service and the choir sings and people sing and everybody sings and there's a message and I think, <laughs> I just want to bottle this up. Like it doesn't get better than this. Yeah, actually it does. (laughs) The most ordinary moment on the new earth, the most ordinary moment on the new earth is, is unbelievable as compared to our most extraordinary moments on this earth. And so those moments on this earth that you want to bottle up, just imagine that every day. All day. Forever. And the next time, listen, the next time you want to get discouraged and down and cranky and disappointed, just think about heaven. Next time you get upset at God for what he's allowed you to go through on this side of heaven, get your your nose in the last part of Revelation and understand everything he's going to let you experience on that side of heaven. You can't get mad at God for things that he does and allows in your life here. When you understand what he is going to allow in your life for all of eternity up there, you can't get mad at God. It's not fair. He's done too much for you. Too much for me in eternity for us to hold a grudge towards him about something that's not fair on this side of earth. We struggle with those things because we are in a sin-cursed world. And we will one day be in a world free of sin. And it's going to be awesome. And here's the verse I want to close with. The choir sang it. Put it up there, Tammy. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And my favorite part, we're going to overlook it if we're not careful. And he said unto me, told John, Write. Why? These words are true and faithful. When somebody tells you you're making things up, fairy tales about heaven, no point into this verse. I know Revelation sometimes can be hard to understand, and when you do understand it, hard to believe. But Jesus assured him, Write these now, write them down. I will preserve them forever. Every generation, here's why they're true, they're not made up, they're literal. Not just symbolic, they're true and faithful. Stand to your feet, sing this with me.